I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Ausbiz. Great to have you company as we kick off the Monday afternoon with a call live from our Barangaroo studios at 10 stocks picked by you. I'll put them to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour. David Lane from Odd Minute from uh, Brisbane, back in the big smoke as well. David, yeah. how are you, mate? Great. Good to have you live in the studio. Good to see you again. Yeah, good yeah. to be here. Uh, good weekend? Yes, it was. Yeah, very nice weekend. And... Um yeah, no, nothing. Ready and raring to get into this week because of a lot happening on economic indicators. Absolutely, confession is. season continues. US on the reporting season. Yeah, yeah, no. a lot happening. Absolutely, uh, amazing. Daniel Ortiz from uh, Lincoln Indicators, a stock doctor. Uh, Daniel, how are you? Are you looking forward to this week? What we've got CPI this week, which will basically, uh, and I think retra- retail trade later, which is going to determine what the Reserve Bank does. Yeah, very looking forward to this week. Another big week, Koshi. It's almost like every week pre-reporting season this year has been a big week. Everyone's expecting those uh, those pre-report announcements. So I don't think we'll get much rest this week at all. No, absolutely not. Hey, let's look at the five stocks we're going to be tackling this half hour. Uh, Queensland uh, Metals, as Queensland Pacific Metals is first up. Uh, premium uh, brickworks linked with Washington eight soul pats. Uh, an interesting question from a viewer there concerning those two. So we thought we'd lump them together. And uh, Mitchell Services. Now, stock of the day, talking about confession season. Uh, South 32, the, uh, the big base metal miner, has posted its fourth quarter operational result. Uh, WA-based mining and metals group reported strong year-on-year growth in aluminium, copper, manganese, uh, set to set to achieve FY23 unit cost guidance. They also flagged a $1.3 billion US dollar non-cash impairment on the Hermosa project. Um, David Lane, the market has really focused on that impairment, hasn't it? Yes, well, $1.3 billion. It's a, uh, it's a very big impairment to focus dollars, on. Totally. US <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, that's certainly been a, a, a negative as far as the result's concerned. And for the, the production, it was a bit of a mixed um, review as well. Their, their aluminium and alumina, uh, metallurgical coal um, were down, whereas their, their copper were up very, very strongly across the, across the year. Um, Met coal was was okay for the quarter and, and beat forecast, but across the year it was slightly down. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of a mixed result there. Mm. Um, and as you say, that the market certainly focused on that uh, that big write down. Yeah, um, highly regarded stock though, and management, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And yeah, and everyone's so bullish on copper, whether that's right or wrong is yet to be seen. But they're one of the biggest copper producers, albeit it's part of a, a diversified. 
Yeah, portfolio. absolutely. And it, and it is one of those stocks that, that I've got in a lot of my client portfolios yeah. because it does give that diversification. So you've got BHP and Rio who concentrate now mainly on iron ore, uh, whereas South32 many years ago were the, the assets that BHP got rid of. Um, but now, as you say, copper, nickel, um, aluminium, they're some of the, the commodities that, that people are focusing on as far as the the EV cycle, the renewable energies yep. and, and being important. So yes, I think it, it is a very good company. And as you say, management over a long period of time have been very, very good. Uh, so it's it's a company that, that we like as far as a portfolio stock. We've got a hold recommendation on it at the moment. Um, without speaking for the analyst, I, I guess we'll see what the, the reduction in the share price does as to whether or not they, they change their view and, and look at maybe accumulating some more at, at right. lower prices. So this is one of those really good blue chip stocks that if there's a pullback, yeah. rather than you say, okay, this is part of a downgrade cycle, we'll avoid it altogether you see it as an opportunity to Oh, to definitely, yeah. Well, well, copper is one of those commodities that we see as, as being very, very important over the next five to 10 years. So yeah. uh, South32 has a good exposure there. Uh, and we have actually seen the share price drift down over the last six months or so anyway. So from a valuation point of view, it's starting to look appealing. Right. It's trading probably about 7% below our, our fair value. Uh, so we think, you know, as I said, we've got a hold currently, whether or not the, the analyst looks okay. at, at changing that view. All right. Daniel, what do you think of the update and South 32 as a stock? Yeah, well, I think they, they probably um, released the most important news at its previous quarterly in the third quarter where it downgraded FY23 expectations a little bit. So that's why I would say the news today is probably mostly priced in, in terms of number one, the impairment, and number two, um, kind of the revised guidance performance. So it met all of its revised targets, um, and its initial guidance for FY24 was was in line with expectations. So I don't think the stocks um, opened down too much, I think around one, one or two, two percent, which probably suggests that you know, the market's probably pricing in a, a bit more of a negative outlook. But um, many of those comments stand uh, that you just discussed with David. You now, we certainly think it's a great management team. And the reason why we say that is because if you look at how they've kind of transitioned their portfolio over time since de-emerging from BHP, they, they've done a lot of huge positives. And the biggest of that was divesting its um, its South African thermal coal business, which was which was quite troubled uh, and in recent times it's obviously made a push towards those those battery metals and um, copper was the big one with the with the recent Sierra Gord acquisition so they're doing all the right things they're probably just heading into a bit of cyclical weakness in some of their key commodities I'd probably call out the the Met coal division as, as um, being arguably the most at risk as there's a lot of supply coming online there so that's actually if you look at the kind of proportion of revenue and profits from South 32 that's one of its biggest uh, contributors and I think that's probably a little bit at risk near term so we're not in the stock at the moment but you know certainly view it as high quality and um, would, would look to to buy it if the shares had lower right okay so what you'd have it as a hold at the moment if you're in it yeah, I think today's valuation is probably reasonable, Koshi. So I'd say holding is the move we'd take. Um, if we did hold it, we'd certainly continue to hold it. But I think, you know, probably it's about somewhere between that 50, uh, 50 excuse me, 15% um, above uh, an entry price we'd look for at the moment. Right, right. So 15% down, then you start to get interested. Yeah, yeah. I think on, on valuation grounds, it's about it. 
All right. Okay, let's get into the uh, stocks that uh, you want us to take a look at. And Emily uh, wants a view, Daniel, on Queensland Pacific Metals, um, emerging critical metals for lithium ion battery and electric vehicle sector, Townsville Energy Chemicals Hub, it was uh, uh, come out of. Uh, so, based in Townsville, in Far North Queensland, uh, produce nickel, cobalt, uh, and alumina, and hematite as well. Yeah, so this is a, a pretty interesting story here because yeah. typically you see junior resources more in the upstream, so they're looking at developing or explore, uh, exploring mining projects, um, whereas this company is looking to develop, you know, essentially a processing facility, more of a downstream mm. project, which which is very unique for a, for a junior company, and I guess it kind of goes to show that it's also quite risky. Um, a few of the key things I'd point out is that, uh, you know, one of the biggest issues today in kind of supply chain resourcing within the battery metals market is that there's a real lack of, I guess, upstream supply. So you need the access to, to ores and you need the access to the mines uh, to provide you with material to produce Koshi. And obviously these guys, you know, they, they don't have any mining operations themselves. We probably prefer to look at something with more of an integrated supply chain. Uh, and they have called out, I think, that they have a, a a kind of an ore acquisition agreement from from New Caledonia. So I know you know that's where the old Goro nickel mine was. I'm not sure where the no. laterites are coming from at the moment. Um, that's probably something you, you'd want to look into further if you're really interested in this stock. But I think it's just in, in, incredibly kind of risky. Um, you know, this is over two billion dollars in capex required. Um, if you look at the MPV, it's it's you know it doesn't look like too much of an economic return um given the amount of capital you need to outlay and and i would certainly look at the price assumptions there that the company's using i think the nickel price is probably 20 percent above where it is today so you know i think there's i think it's interesting um certainly one that you'd be watching but from our view you know you'd probably struggle to to be buying right. this at the moment um probably too many risks for us yeah, a bit early in the development cycle for them yeah, and I think they called out first production in 2025, which it looks really optimistic to me. Um, I think they'll probably get pushed back a little bit further. This is something that will take a while uh, to get finance and construction and approvals. Yeah, big plans. David, and based in Townsville? It is, yes. Yeah, based up in Townsville with, uh, as you said, the, the, the interestingly named Townsville Energy Chem Chemicals Hub, Hub. Tech Project. Mm, yep. um, so, yeah, I think Daniel sum summed it up very, very well that it is new technology. They're trialling a new uh, processing facility called the um, Direct Nickel Process. Uh, they've done some analysis of that in ALS's plant over in the in WA. So oh. they've, they've got some early, um, early indications that the process should work. But as Daniel said, it's going to be very cost intensive uh, and whenever you're developing a new process and a new development plan, it invariably costs a lot more than you than you think. Yeah. Um, so it's probably one that, yeah, if you're a true believer in the in the uh, the space, you could have a little bit of a punt on it. But really, I think it's probably too early, and and I wouldn't be uh, yeah putting my money okay. into it at, right. at this point. Yeah, the, it's all in the timing, is it? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> when the risk when, uh, when the risk can be a bit reduced as they as the development continues on. Um, Raj wants to view David on premium. Uh, Raj says, "Can you ask the experts 
uh, for an opinion after its June 2023 update and FY23 result presentation. Result looks good on the surface. According to Raj, they have increased funds under management of $44 billion. Uh, does this warrant a buy, a sell or a hold? Also, is this cheaper than Hub24 and Net Wealth, which were in the news recently as well? Uh, Premium is like Hub24 and Net Wealth in its uh, administration investment platform for financial planners, advisors and the like. That's right, yeah. Does uh, it rate right up with Hub24 and Net Wealth? Yes, it does, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's an excellent question from Raj. I think it uh, you know, summarises, I suppose, the views that, that we have uh, in that the whole sector in general is a growth sector. So right. you've had the, the incumbents that have been in the industry for a long period of time, the colonial first states, the, the bankers or BT, Panorama. Yep. They're actually losing a, f- a fair bit of market share, and you've got these new players in the market, the Hub 24s, Premiums, Net Wealth, that are uh, getting more market share. Uh, and as they keep announcing their their fund flows, they're improving every quarter. Um, although, as Raj says, the the fund under administration was higher for premium, but it was actually a little bit lower than, than what we were expecting. So the result was slightly disappointing as far as our analysts was, were concerned. Um, but having said that, we think that premium does have a lot of potential and it's probably the one that has the possibility of being taken over. And we think that right. by and large, there's more consolidation to, to happen in that sector. Uh, so we do have a buy on premium. We've got a target price of a dollar on it. Um, Raj asked whether it's cheaper than, than Hub24 and Net Wealth. It is slightly cheaper yeah. on, on a PE basis. So they're trading on a PE of 23 times yield of, of 2.1%. Um, but our preferred stock in the sector is Hub. Right. Um, so we have a buy on both Hub and, and Premium, uh, but believe that Hub has more growth potential than, than Premium does. They're, cons- they're getting more funds under management and their, their momentum yeah. is, is traveling a little bit better. Um, so like both, but Hub is, is our preferred pick out of the two. Because if we can bring that 12 month chart up for, uh, for Premium, I'll just check the charts of both Net Wealth and Hub24. Yeah. They're a lot different to this, like um, both Hub24 and Net Wealth, uh, basically at their 12-month highs, they've seesawed a bit yes. <coughs> yep. during the year, yep. whereas Premium, what since October, has gone from that, that top left to, to bottom right, sort of almost 12 months low at the moment. Yeah, they have. They're, they've had a couple of... Um... And you've got a target of 90 you were saying you're analyst? A uh, dollar. A dollar? Yeah. Okay. Check. So we do see f- a fair bit of upside in them. So um, almost it will catch up to Hub24 and Yeah, we think so. Yeah, yeah. Right. They've recently had a number of acquisitions. They bought um, PowerApp. Uh, so they've had a couple of um, issues with the the um, the mergers that they've had. Uh, probably haven't given them the, the uplift that they initially hoped for. Uh, but medium and longer term, we think that you know those acquisitions mm. make sense for them. So okay. yeah, there's definitely upside in it. All right, uh, Daniel, what do you reckon of Premium? 
Oh, look, probably similar sentiments in that we like the space. Certainly, it's a it's a growing area and Premium, obviously, one of the few companies that are actually having kind of net inflows from clients. Um, obviously, the, those larger players are still kind of in drawdown mode where, where advisors are moving away from those platforms more and more. Um, but I will say in terms of the question on valuation, you know, they, they do trade at a discount to, to obviously hub and net wealth, but also consider the fact that, you know, they're, they're obviously much lower growth um, and kind of lower margin than those two companies so from our view you know the valuation needs to reflect the business uh, and and you know it, therefore it should be trading at a discount to those two companies so you know the the only real re-rate opportunity is if they somehow you know return to above market growth or you know if there's takeover a kind of um takeover consideration there as well and i think i think was it net wealth originally yeah. launched a takeover for premium mm. that that didn't go through um you know i think historically that will prove to be a bit of a mistake i think that was probably the right time to exit the business um you know they, they took on their own strategy so instead of getting acquired they they um they divested their international business sold that to morningstar um bought some shares back on market paid a special dividend so i think there's probably you know a more greater focus of the management team to to say let's let's really focus on our core Australian operations now and, and look to grow that. But um, look, evidently, I don't think they're probably as strong as a franchise as NetWealth and Hub. But you know, they are still growing comparatively to those big players, which are which are more um, receding away. So from our view, you know, it'd probably be a, a hold at best, um, just purely on the valuation aspect there. Uh, but we'd certainly prefer NetWealth and Hub. Okay, so why hasn't its share price followed a similar trend to Net Wealth and Hub? Was it was it elevated earlier because of that special distribution, extra dividend, getting rid of the US? Well, I'd say the first thing is that its financials have probably been, you know, a little bit impacted by the movement um, in subsidiaries. So there's been, like David mentioned, there's been sales and, and acquisitions and the accounts, you know, they are a little bit all over the place at the moment. They're probably not reflective of the true underlying business. So I think ah. that probably um, impacts the way even quant funds and, and investors look at the stock. You know, they see the way financials are, are measured and, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of make a decision based off that, uh, which my, one of my comments here was you know that you probably can't look at the last few years um, reports and, and get a good view of the stock. I think next year will be a lot cleaner, um, and especially right. now that they paid down a lot of their debt, Koshi, through that through that divestment, and they're looking to restart their, their dividend program. So I think they cancelled that for a few years, right. uh, and they're looking to restart that. So that's probably one of the reasons I'd give it a hold at the moment because I think next six twelve months financials will look a lot cleaner. Uh, but ultimately, you know, we, we prefer the larger players. Right. Okay. All right. That's a really good point. So hold at best. Um, our third stock, uh, Daniel Robin, has uh, sort of linked, as she quite rightly should, uh, Brickworks and Soul Pats. Uh, Robin says, I bought Brickworks and Soul Pats as long term uh, five year investments. Brickworks is up 25% in a year, while Soul Pats languishes just 7% over the two years I've had it. I'd like to hear from the panel about their relative merits and the huge disparity in their performance. Um, let's start with uh, Brickworks, Daniel. I didn't realise, uh, started 1934 by a, a group of Sydney brick manufacturers in a bid to survive the depression way back then. It's got an amazing history and it's turned into one of the world's biggest um, sort of building products, roof tiles, bricks, pavers, precast cement panels. 
Yeah, that's right, Koshi. And I think these two these two stocks in particular, you could probably um, talk all day about them because they do have such rich histories uh, as listed entities on our market. And the first thing I'd say is that, you know, it's a really great question posed by the viewer. Um, I think it gives a pretty good insight into how people think about, you know, the psychology of investing as well, because, you know, one has outperformed the other over kind of, a, I would say, a shortish period of time. But you also have to consider the entry points. Um, I think in recent years, Solpats, you know, has been a really strong performer, but it probably reached an unsustainable high. It hit about 40 bucks when it had that merger with Milton um, at the time. So it's, I would say the recent performance is probably more reflective of the timing of entries. And I would say if you look at kind of the underlying of the fundamental performance of both stocks, they've actually both been really good. So starting with Brickworks, um, as you mentioned, obviously, it's a, it's a significant significantly um, player in the in the brick manufacturing yeah, yeah. space and it holds really, it holds a 26 percent stake in Solpats, doesn't it and that's yeah, where they're exactly. inter- interlinked and vice versa Solpats is the biggest investor in brickworks yep yep exactly and i believe that stake was originally put in place to to kind of um fight off outside takeover interests like um some corporate hostility there right. so like i mentioned that it does go back a long way but mm. brickworks you know i think it's wrong to look at this as a building materials company it's clearly um an asset play it's it's two significant assets uh, are the holding in, in Solpats, firstly. And secondly, it's it's significant holding in, in um, the property trust with Goodman Group. So probably the last 10 years, they've been redeveloping some of their old manufacturing sites in a joint venture with Goodman Group. Uh, and that's grown to over $2 billion in, in assets wow. um, that, that, that they've recognized on their balance sheet. So Cause those the, are really- Because the logic, Daniel, is that it's been around for so long that mm. it would start a quarry to build bricks on the outskirts of a city, but over the decades that it's been there, that quarry on the outskirts became sort of pretty valuable residential redevelopment property. And that's where they got involved with Goodman to say, I I know uh, years ago when I was working at Epping at Channel 7 Studios there, next door to it was a brickworks quarry uh, that I think had been established in the 1950s. And by the 1990s, early 2000s, uh, it, was, it was part of the suburb of Epping and they transformed it into home units and made a fortune out of it. That's what yeah, they exactly. do. It- Exactly, and it reminds me a little bit of um, McGill Estate in in uh, in Adelaide. Oh, yeah. There, obviously, Koshy, how that kind of um, developed into more of a yeah residential area, and they sold off a lot of their land there. So, to to make a long story short, this is a property trust uh, and an asset first business, and an operating brick manufacturer second. So, yeah. what I would just say is look at the performance of those underlying assets. I think I think they probably hold some of the best um, industrial property um, assets already in Australia. If you look at um, their joint venture there, the Oakdale joint venture, and that's going to grow over time significantly. So, uh, to make a long story short, Brickworks, you know, I think it's a great business. This is a, you know, an awesome bottom draw stock. Management clearly has a long term view here, and with dividends, the reason why they can continue to grow that Koshi is because number one, they have the earnings from their business, and then they supplement that with obviously the cash flows from dividends they get from Saltpats, and then thirdly, the rental income they get. Right. Um, from the property trust. So that's why they're so easily able to supplement dividends over the period. Uh, and to, to make it an even uh, more boring kind of stock suggestion, I just give it a hold at the moment. I think the valuation looks looks very fair um, uh, of the recent performance. Okay. David, Brickworks? 
Yeah, ag- agree with everything that, that Daniel said. That um, you know that that property development side and their their property trust is really the jewel in the crown as far as the, the business is concerned. Um, and that's one of the reasons that we've got to buy a recommendation on it. So right. we think that there's there's further development pipeline that comes through. Their last result, their uh, building materials segment was a little bit disappointing, as you would mm. expect in the current environment. Um, but it's they one actually, of the biggest masonry suppliers in America. So yes, even though it has all these investments, it's it's fundamental business. Oh, sure. is pretty large. Yeah, yeah, like, and they've just signed a uh, a ten year agreement to sell uh, ten million bricks per year, minimum of 10 million bricks per year to the UK. Huh? Uh, so yeah, they're still very much at their core uh, you know, a building materials right. business. Uh, and because of the, the current economic climate, that's been a little bit disappointing for them. But the property side's been the, the interesting part. Right. They made a $260 million profit out of that, uh, the sale of some of the, the land at, at Oakdale. Uh, so we think, yes, from that point of view, it, it is a buy. Um, the investment that they've got in in Solpats as well gives them regular income and and uh, you know some investment earnings. So their yeah. investment earnings were up thirty seven percent last report as well. So well managed business. It's been around for a long time. It will be around for a lot longer. Yeah. Uh, and as Daniel said, it's a good bottom draw sort of stock. Our target price is twenty eight dollars. So we think that there's you know, still some upside in it. Yeah. Um, but okay. Yeah, for a long term portfolio, it's. Uh, it's a good business. Okay, let's do the other leg now um, is for Sol Pattinson. Again, a lot of people go, oh, is that the pharmacies? <laughs> uh, well, yes, it did start as that, be. but not anymore. Mm. Um, basically, it's a, an investment company with big interest in TPG Telecom, Brickworks, as we've been talking about, West Farmers, which is a similar sort of business, I suppose, uh, BHP uh, Macquarie and also New Hope. New Hope, Co- yeah. Uh, the big coal miner as well. That's right. Yeah, and New Hope's been the the part of the, the business that's um, you know, given them the best return over the last 12 months. Yep. Uh, you know, New Hope's doing very well as far as the, the coal um, industry is concerned. They're generating an enormous amount of cash flow and paying out good dividends, so that's flowing through into... Yep into Solpats and ultimately through into into Brickworks because Brickworks has also got an investment in, in New Hope as well. Right. Uh, so yeah, the, the, they're very much interlinked. Uh, as you said, Brickworks have got that 26% holding in Solpats and vice versa, which goes back to the 1960s. Uh, and that was a quirk back then you wouldn't be allowed to do that nowadays. Right. Uh, the, the Corporations Act wouldn't wouldn't allow those cross shareholdings. Um, but of the of the two, as I said, we've got a buy recommendation on uh, Brickworks, but a lighten recommendation oh. on Solpats. Okay. Um, the reason is that we think it's trading above the fair value of the the underlying assets, and and therefore above the the fair value. So we've got a fair value of twenty six ninety on Solpats. So. Right. So you'd be taking profits at Taking this, profits at current right. levels. Um, but having said that, their long-term returns have been exceptional. You know, they've had very good returns out of their investment portfolio, yeah. but think that the share price is probably just trading a little bit above where it should be at, at present. And, it's, uh, and the management, you could class them as founder owners, could the Milder yeah. family 
They're well, no, very much involved, yes, yeah. and um, BKI Investments, which is a, another listed investment. Uh, Robert Milner is, uh, I think, the grandson of the founder. He he yeah. runs that business now. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're very much involved, um, you know, over, over many generations. Yeah. Um, and if you've got a holding in Brickworks, will you... You have that that holding in in Soul Pats as well. So, yeah. uh, you know, as far as Robin's concerned, maybe she looks at, at taking some profits on on Soul Pats and retaining and the cycling brickworks. into brickworks. Yeah. Okay, uh, Daniel, what do you think of Soul Pats? Look, very similar comments about the brickworks in regards to obviously more of an asset manager, asset play type of stock. So, and, and similar comments that you just made about the management team. Obviously, the Milners um, are, are going to run this thing extremely kind of conservatively. Uh, and, you know, really, I think 80% of the portfolio right now is invested across um, mostly Aussie shares. And then the rest is kind of divided um, around some fixed income securities and property play. So, you know, if you look at the portfolio, they've been pretty active in, in selling down some of their larger positions. So they're starting to exit large Australian corporates pretty significantly. Now, that was inherited more so through the Milton um, merger. So they're, they're downsizing that. It looks like they, they, they want to reinvest in some more kind of higher yielding opportunities or even kind of emerging um, stock opportunities as well. So these guys clearly always looking for, for the long term. Uh, and, you know, the valuation is probably, you know, a little bit, a little bit more than fair at the moment so it's probably another hold for us um you know but going back to the original viewer's question you know why is it languished versus brickworks and and i think that chart showed it perfectly you know it's really a a case of entry timing so you can probably get a bit of a better entrance on soul pats but we'd certainly be calling it a hold right now right so out of the two would you say don't go into either at the moment wait for some weakness well, look, I don't think we would at the moment, but obviously it depends on your kind of tolerance for risk. I mean, if you want a, a really easy stock to hold, bottom draw, yep. you know, don't have to worry about it. You can buy either of these right now because the balance sheets are great, um, the assets are great, and they'll probably continue to perform well, you know, for the medium yep. term. But if you're looking for more of an active opportunity to beat the market, uh, we'd probably be looking elsewhere right now. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, one of those stocks I know, it's a case in my little superannuation, self-managed superannuation fund. You have these two and it's sort of as part of your set and forget part of the portfolio because you know it's just going to give you a return. Exactly. And, you know, you, you don't have to have that fear of when the stocks fall, you know, because there's, yeah. there's, it's obviously heavily backed by assets. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's almost like an ETF for an LIC, like we mentioned earlier. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty unique investment. All right. Uh, Daniel, Pete wants a view on Mitchell Services, uh, a drilling services group to the uh, mining and energy industries. Yeah, another interesting one, Koshi. You know, if you look at the share price, uh, given the the I guess demand for exploration expenditure at the moment, you probably would have thought that this stock would have done a whole lot better. It, it you know it hasn't been too hasn't been too crash hot given how good the circumstances are um, in drilling exploration at the moment, um, and that probably goes to show how little interest there is in the market for you know really small cap mining service plays, uh, especially kind of in the in the in the micro cap area, you know, I think it's a ninety million dollar market cap. So, kind of the history or the the background at the moment with its financials, um, you know, it's carrying a lot of debt 
I think it's a 90 mil market cap, probably has around 40, 45 million dollars of debt, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is probably why some investors have been concerned around the quality of the balance sheet there. And um, it's investing pretty heavily in its fixed asset base. So I saw CapEx was roughly, you know, 11, 12 million um, in the recent period, which, which is very high considering kind of the asset base they have um, and, and the size of the company they run. So I think it's probably, you know, hasn't benefited as much in terms of cash flows and dividends as the DDH has. I mean, they've been, play, they've been paying almost 10% yielding, yielding dividends and has huge cash flows um, at the moment. It, go, it goes to show the difference, I guess, in capital management there uh, from a business perspective. So I'd probably be happy to stay out of this one. I still think it's, you know, mm. it's, it's probably at the height of its cycle, yet it hasn't been benefiting from those from those okay. financial benefits. So I probably would have preferred, and we own DDH, so we, we would have preferred that one. It's under a takeover offer at the moment or a merger offer from Parenti. So I guess, you know, you can't really um, look to get in that at the moment because of that. But yeah. I think that's probably a higher quality play um, and okay. there's probably better offerings in this space than yeah. Mitchell at the moment. Uh, David? Yeah, it's interesting that, uh, as you saw on that chart, the share price hasn't done a lot, but a lot of it's been in the last month. So it's up yeah, about yeah. 19% in the last yep. month. Doing the research, Sol Pattinson have actually bought 5% of the company. Ah, right. Which, because of those cross-shareholdings that we were talking about previously, Brickworks have also had to lodge a substantial shareholder notice as well. Ah. Um, so inadvertently, if you're investing in Brickworks or Sol Pattinson, you're investing in, in Mitchell's services. In Mitchell services. as well, okay. Yeah. Um, but it is a business that... So that sort of goes back to what Daniel was saying before. They... Um, actually getting out a lot of the leading companies going and to emerging And buying some ones. of these emerging companies. This yeah, is an that's example right. of it. Yes, yeah. Okay. And, and obviously what, well, not obviously, but I am assuming what Sol Pattinson is seeing is the fact that Mitchell hasn't generated a profit for a long period of time, but they are significantly improving. So right. their, their revenue in the last report was $65 million dollars. Right. They earn EBITDA on that of about fifteen million, so mm. they are actually on the on the okay. the improve. They've also announced a uh, uh, a share buyback, and they've extended that for another twelve months, so they can buy back up to ten percent of their their shares. Right. Um, so the company, you know, is seeing um, more value in in their share price. Uh, so as well as Sol Pattinson. So I think if it's a stock that you've got, I'd be holding it. Um, don't necessarily see a, a you know a compelling reason to be buying it at the moment. Right. Um, but you know, again, going back to, to Brickworks, maybe buy some of it and you'll you'll get a little yeah, bit of yeah, exposure in there into as well. It. Well, and that that's the way to think about it. Like in my little super fund a while ago, I was in coal stocks and they got too heady for me, so yep. I got out of that direct investment because I was thinking our sole plants have a stake in. New hope. Absolutely. That'll, that'll give me my exposure. That's right. Uh, with yeah. a better portfolio. So I started to get a bit nervous about it all. Uh, let's recap the uh, the first five stocks and stock of the day. Stock of the day, South 32. Uh, a hold from both Daniel and David. Uh, for Daniel, if it pulled back, um, it's about 15% overvalued at the moment. Would need to pull back that before he got interested. Uh, Queensland Pacific Metals, a no from both Premium. Uh, a hold from Daniel. Uh, a buy from David, but both of them in that space prefer uh, Hub24 and NetWealth. Uh, Brickworks, a buy from David, a hold from Daniel. 
Sol Pats, um, David thinks it's, it's a bit overvalued at the moment, so take some profits, uh, a hold from Daniel, and Mitchell Services, a hold from David, and a no from Daniel. Uh, here at the, uh, at the call, we've been following our own um, fantasy portfolio. It was picked by the Investment Committee. You can see the July Committee meeting on the platform, osbiz.com. Uh, at the July meeting, they switched uh, between uranium players, took the profit on BOSS, put it into, into Paladin, so they still had a stake there. And uh, they got out of Kelsium, the transport group and tourism group, and started to uh, nibble in retail. Uh, great debate, if you go and look at the uh, investment committee meeting, debate on whether it was too early to start getting back into retailers. But they thought if you were gonna get in early and have a nibble, Labisa is the best of them. Uh, portfolio's up about 6%. Uh, this half hour, we'll be talking about Visan, also the US student housing REIT. Uh, you'll remember over the last couple of weeks, REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust, a uh, whole bunch of them have come up here on the call. And a point was made that not all of them are just in commercial or industrial. There are some specialist ones in storage and um, uh, areas like that and um, um, uh, play centres, daycare centres. Uh, I didn't know there was one in US student housing until I started to look at this one coming up. So that'll be a fascinating discussion. Uh, National Australia Bank on the slate for this half hour, ResMed and Amcor as well. Uh, David Jason, uh, Jackson rather, wants a view on Visan, um, another drilling and dewatering and test pumping service um, for mine sites based in WA. Sort of a you know, similar sector, I suppose, to Mitchell Services. Yeah, it is a little bit. Yeah, they're, they're specialised in the hydrogeological drilling uh, and, and, as you said, test pumping and, and water consultancy. Um, it's actually a, a really interesting little business in that the management have been doing a very, very good job with it. They've if been I coming out chart, with... They've done a great job the last year. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and throughout that period, they've been coming out with consecutive profit guidance upgrades, huh? which is unusual in this current environment. And as yeah. we're sort of heading into confession season, um, they actually made an announcement uh, last week that, that their net profit is expected to be between 6.8 and $7 million um, up from you know, about six to six and a half million in their, their May guidance. So right. management's doing a good job. Uh, it's a, an interesting little business. They've had a significant increase in, in revenue and profit over the last three years. They do have a healthy balance sheet and cash flow. Um, but given the fact that their share price is up 100% over the last <laughs> 12 months, yep. 50% in the last six months, and even I think it was up 12% last week, um, if you've got it, I'd probably be taking a, a few right. profits on it at, at yep. present. Yeah, um, you've done well. Mm. Yep. Okay. Daniel, what do you reckon? Now, this is a really interesting business. And I think um, one of the first people who I've heard speak about it was on your show, Koshi. Luke Winchester, I think, has, has been yep. around this one for quite some time. Um, and yeah, it's been a great performer. So if you're interested in the stock, I'd certainly you know try to look for some former episodes because he would have a much better understanding of the background than we would. But um, in terms of what they're doing now, they, they have a plan to really target the large iron ore miners in WA. So they pretty much um, built out their business through a few acquisitions 
Dolphins um, in the space and acquired some some um, pump uh, pump rigs to to get those contracts there. And they have a pretty significant contract with Fortescue in the dewatering space. And you know, dewatering is probably one of the most um, technical issues that miners face because you know. If, you, if you're not properly managing the water and dewatering the, the ground, there can be pretty significant safety issues attached to that. Like you can, you know, generation of sinkholes over time or mm. contamination of soil okay. and land. So it, it is an important space in the mining services segment. I would say typically it's been handled by, you know, really large engineering firms, like global companies like CSA Global. You know, these are the types of guys that do it. So for, for this little company to be you know, hyper-focusing on this and getting involved is really interesting. And clearly, you know, the upgraded guidance shows that, that it's working so far. So I would probably put this as a spec buy. I know it's had a huge run, but yeah. now you're starting into FY24 with with a, probably a larger earnings base than anticipated. You know, and these guys can probably do 10 mil in profit before tax uh, in, in the next year. So, you know, I'm sure once that earnings growth comes through, there'll be a lot more interested parties in the market. Okay. Um, it's probably just one that, you know, obviously for us, it's a little bit too small, uh, not enough liquidity. Uh, but for the retail investor, you know, it does look like an interesting kind of mm. spec opportunity. Okay. And as you say, Luke Winchester... Uh, from Merriweather Capital has talked about a few times on Ausbiz, and that's mm. the beauty of going onto the Ausbiz platform. You can catch up, just go into the search engine there. You can catch up with all those interviews uh, from experts in the past. So um, you can do some research with that. All right, uh, Daniel, Bill wants a view on the US student housing REIT. As I said before, we talk about lots of REITs here on, on the call. You send them in. They're all about industrial, commercial, retail, um, but there's some really interesting specialty ones in, in that storage area, in daycare centers. And here's one that invests in student accommodation in American universities. Never heard of it before, Daniel. Yeah, no, you're right, Koshi. And it's, I think it's a recent IPO. I think it only listed last year. And in my notes, um, what I found is that, you know, they, they kind of listed obviously in a really hot market for, for real estate uh, when rates were really low. And you got to consider, obviously, every single REIT on our market has an underlying kind of responsible entity or a fund manager attached to that. Now, the fund manager for this REIT, you know, it, it's quite small. I think they only manage, you know, a few hundred million dollars in property. And when I head to their website, they kind of looked at this, it seemed like more of an exit for their existing um, kind of private investors. So, wow. You know, I'm just a little bit concerned. Um, and look, it's you know obviously not having a go at, at the company who floated this, but you have to consider you know whether their interests are aligned with yours as an equity investor. Uh, and you know you'd have to have a, a, you know this is probably a niche in real estate that's too specialised um, for us to have a look at. Uh, we'd probably want a little bit more um, yeah. of an established market. You know, I think this type of REIT seems like you know why wouldn't it be listed in the US um, type of thing it doesn't seem like it would it would have much appeal to Australian investors as well as the corporate structure here looks a little bit complex so okay. I probably think in an area you know that, that has some interesting opportunities in it Koshi uh, like you mentioned in the more um, niche assets like childcare land lease communities you know this is probably one we'd be happy to stay away from yeah um, and, and keep in mind you know there's there's a lot of work that needs to be done in understanding the asset base. So, you know, yep. you, you want to, you probably wouldn't want to rush in purely based on a dividend or, or you know, a discount. You'd want to really understand the, the fundamentals of that market. Yeah. And when it floated a year ago to around that dollar thirty market, it's now around 80 cents. Uh, not, a, not a great look. Uh, David, what do you think? 
Yeah, it's a it, it's a very interesting one, and I guess that the big question that I had when I was researching it is why mm. um, the the assets are decent assets as far as you know they've got ninety six percent occupancy, they're worth significantly more than the share price currently is. I think the the NTA is about a dollar fifty six, but as Daniel said, uh, it's the only listed. US student housing mm. REIT in the world, why are they listed right. here on the ASX? Yeah. Uh, why aren't, aren't there other listed you know, vehicles similar do, to do that? Do we have an in, equivalent one for Australian <coughs> student accommodation or uh, anything like that? There, there are a couple. I suppose the theme is quite good, isn't it? Well, yes, and the, the one that does spring to mind, um, it, it's actually now uh, Wilson Asset Management Alternative Assets, right. but in its past it was actually Blue Sky, ah, uh, and ah. one of the the investments that Blue Sky had was in Australian student ah, housing. Okay. Um, right. Yeah, okay. not well, that... <laughs> not necessarily drawing the same correlation. No, 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 but uh, that does colour the perception a bit. But also, when I was looking at, at US student housing, it did make me think of um, some of the the US property trusts that were. Um, Issued by uh, Evans and Partners in the right. past, and they've they've had a, a very checkered history as well. Right. And, okay. and you know, U.S. property sounds appealing, but for an Australian investor, you've got the the tyranny of distance plus the currency. currency. Yeah. I, I just think it's it's probably too hard. Too hard when there are better options around. Exactly. Okay. Yep. All right. I would just I would just mention there as well. I think that's when you have to really. Um, put a lot of importance on the underlying manager there. So if this was managed by, you know, say a charter hall, you'd probably have a lot less skepticism yeah. around the reason mm. for listing and everything. So th- I think that's a pretty important uh, yeah. piece of the puzzle. Absolutely. All right, let's go more mainstream now. Uh, David, Damien, what's your view on the National Australia Bank? One of our big four banks? Yes, uh, very good Good bank. Um, a, you know, the biggest business bank in Australia and they you know, have been investing heavily in, in that side of it. They obviously still have a, a very big um, exposure to housing as well. Um, we've recently downgraded, and when I say recently, only in the last week, downgraded our recommendation on it to a hold. Right. Uh, and that's mainly because we've seen the, that share price improve over the last few weeks. So our uh, fair value on the stock is $30. Um, it's now sort of approaching into, into that level. So we've put it on a hold. We previously had an accumulate on right. it. Um, okay. Still, as far as a portfolio stock's concerned, it's you know dividend yield of 6.5% fully franked. So if you're in a you know, super fund or in pension phase, you're getting a, an excellent uh, after-tax yield yeah. on it. Um, PE of 10 times. So it's a, a great business, but probably a little bit fully okay. priced at, at the moment. How does it rate in terms of the big four for you? Uh, we Ever prefer uh, Westpac and ANZ. Right. Um, CBA we've also got on a hold, so we think that uh, CBA is very expensive at the moment. National Bank getting into that expensive territory uh, and think that there's better value in Westpac okay. ANZ. Uh, Daniel, NAB? Yeah, obviously very similar uh, sentiments to David. I think the valuation's probably you know fully, if not very close to fully priced in. Um, I hear a lot of members on our end through Stock Doctor say, you know, that the and I would say on a gross yield basis, looking towards, you know, that eight or, or even nine percent range, including franking credits. Um, and I would say, you know, if that's what's being priced into the market, 
then that's because you know the the market isn't anticipating any growth in that yield for, for probably quite some time. So mm. they have obviously have the headwind of of you know compressing or, or or falling off the peak in terms of net interest margins, but they also have you know a really subdued credit growth environment. So I think growth will be extremely difficult to come by for any of the banks, uh, and we all know that you know a lot of them have tried cost out programs, but. Costs are, you know, incredibly difficult to to mitigate in the banks because they have, you know, such huge physical presences or, you know, in sometimes, you know, pretty antiquated systems. So, you know, if you're happy with that, you know, six percent net, nine percent gross, just yield to sit there, you could absolutely hold this because um, we think that will be quite stable over the next twelve months or so. But if you're looking for growth, you know, you probably have to look elsewhere. Right. Have you got a favourite amongst the big four? A preferred one? Yeah, look, I think Westpac certainly looks interesting because it has been the most unloved and, you know, we've we probably liked the speed at which it's gone through refinancing the RBA's TFF facility. Um, that's probably been a little bit underappreciated by the market, but um, certainly, you know, our preference would be across any of the big four um, rather than, say, one of the regionals at the moment. Okay. All right. Uh, Colin wants a view, Daniel, on ResMed, the, uh, the big sleep technology manufacturer, um, to sort of sleep apnea machines, CPAC uh, masks and accessories. Um, started out being based here in Australia, now based in San Diego, but it's a major global uh, healthcare business now. Yeah, you're right, Koshi. The number one player in the in the sleep apnea market, and obviously they they've been a huge beneficiary uh, of the Philips recall. Um, that's that's probably been prolonged now. And I think when that originally happened, um, some of the analysts were were forecasting, you know, perhaps a 12, 18 month disruption. But it's likely looking like that's going to be a few years in the making now. So that's why the ResMed um, kind of operating performance has been extremely strong. They've been growing earnings at you know 30 percent um, the last couple of years relative to you know you'd probably expect it in the 10 to 15 over the long term. But we absolutely, you know, I would say this is probably one of our our better ideas in the market. It, it hasn't really gone anywhere um, in the last year, and you know there's probably been an, a few other factors attributable to that. So I think the healthcare sector's been sold off a little bit. Obviously, CSL um, came out with an announcement that earnings won't be as great mm. as analysts. Um, kind of originally forecasted, and that's probably placed the whole sector under a little bit of a wet blanket. But you know, we're big believers in the ResMed story, and you know, I think that earnings will can you continue to grow, you know, double digit for for a long, long time. I think just the sleep apnea market alone, uh, some some kind of industry specialists forecast that will grow eight percent a year. Which you know, if you can find right. and invest in an industry growing eight percent a year, that that's incredible um, over the long term. That compounding effect. So so we're big believers, and we'd be a buy on ResMed. Okay, um, David. Yeah, largely agree. Um, our recommendations an accumulate, which isn't as um, as strong as a buy, but we think that it's it's definitely a, a great business. Um, they've they've managed uh, very very well. Our analysts look at um, capital allocation, and they've actually ranked ResMed's capital allocation as exemplary. Oh, um, so yeah, they, they've been very good managers over a long period of time. Um, and as Daniel said, we think that that market, the sleep apnea market, is is still underpenetrated. Yeah. Uh, and interestingly, a lot of ResMed's improvements in sales have actually come outside of the US recently. So. Yeah. They're sort of expanding around the world. Uh, and as we head into 
Um, times of, of improved technology, AI and the like, it's meaning that their, um, their machines are able to have more real-time data and interact more with the, the health professionals. Uh, so, you know, that's a potential upside over the, the medium and longer term okay. for them as well. So, yeah, we think that ResMed's uh, yeah good business. We've got an accumulate on them at the moment. Okay, because uh, the big three are sort of CSL, Cochlear and ResMed. Are That's the, right. The yeah. three big global healthcare companies that have been born out of Australia. And yeah, absolutely. pretty yeah, impressive. We're, we're global leaders in, in healthcare. Yeah. And then also you're looking at you know, Sonic and, and Ramsey of yep. you know, both global businesses now as well. So, yeah, yeah that's a competitive good, advantage that we we have here and, and probably don't recognise enough. No, no, I'm sure be really proud of it. Uh, our final stock, Tyree, David, wants a view on Amcor, the big uh, international plastics packaging group, sales of $14.5 billion US dollars, 44,000 employees over 40 countries. It is huge, isn't it? It is, yeah. Deceptively uh, so. Another global business that's come yeah. out of Australia and, um, yeah, and most of their, their business um, is, yeah, not in Australia at all because, um, yeah, as I think we've spoken about before, their, their Australian business is now Aurora uh, yeah. and Amcor is the, the global um, business. But, um, again, another good quality business. We've got an accumulate recommendation on it. Um, now, interestingly, in their last result, we actually downgraded our earnings forecasts, right? but upgraded our recommendation on it. And that mm. was mainly because of the, the share price reaction to right. the earnings because- You reckon Amcor, it was overdone? Yeah, a little bit overdone. Um, and Amcor spoke about the fact that they're having pricing pressure. They're starting to find from their their customers that demand is is reducing, uh, so it's a bit of a leading indicator as far as the consumer discretionary um, yeah. you know, sector is concerned. So, um, yeah, we've got an accumulate recommendation on it. Think that the the fair value is about sixteen dollars. Okay, all right. Uh, and Daniel, they they pledged that all of their packaging will, will be recyclable or reusable by twenty twenty five. So that's a good thing too. Yeah, and I think Amcor is probably one of the global leaders in terms of innovation in the packaging market as well. So they, they invest a lot in developing kind of new methods um, for packaging, whether it's in plastics or, or bottles and things like that. So, that, you know, they're clearly uh, a favorable choice for suppliers in that in that regard as well. Um, but, you know, we probably think this is a business that was, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more of a cyclical masquerading as a defensive. Uh, and, you know, they, mm-hmm. they've had a few unfortunates in the last few years. Like they, they had a pretty sizable business in Russia that was obviously you know impacted and and that was the needing to be sold off um, so that impacted the financials the the exposure to the US dollars recently heard it as well so they've had a few unfortunates I'd say um, but the key point here is that these are huge operating leverage businesses um, and you know if you do have volumes a little bit below expectations that's when you can get the leverage to the downside in terms of earnings expectations so you know I think we've been pretty good in avoiding this one uh, and, and I think we'd still be out of it for now um, when I looked at kind of consensus estimates I think the first half FY24 expectations are to be for for you know 14 or 15 percent earnings decline, but then a much speedier recovery in the second half. So, right. you know, th- there is quite a bit priced in here uh, in terms of a recovery, um, you know, and if that doesn't play out, you know, th- I think the stock can, can trade significantly lower. So that would be the risk 
in the near term. And, uh, and I'd also call out, I think there was a global peer that recently reported, you know, significantly below expectations uh, and the stock opened down around 10%. So there are some risks here in the near term, but if, you know, you're probably thinking more of a, a longer, longer term opportunity, you can hold it. But uh, for us at the moment, we'd, we'd be in a void. Okay. All right. Let's recap the uh, uh, the final five stocks. A really interesting mix um, in this in the second half hour of the show. Uh, Vaisan um, takes some profits after a um, a huge run up over the last uh, month or two. Um, takes some profits from David at Ord. Speculative buy from Daniel. Uh, U.S. student uh, uh, housing REIT and avoid from both um, David and Daniel quite don't really understand why a REIT like this needs to be listed here in Australia. It's quite a complex structure. Uh, NAB a hold from both. Um, David prefers Westpac and ANZ of the big four. Uh, ResMed, uh, a buy from Daniel, accumulate from David at Ords and Amcor, and accumulate from Ords and a no from Daniel. Uh, Daniel Ortizzi from Stock Doctor, uh, Lincoln Indicators. Mate, great to see you. Thanks for joining us from Melbourne. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks, good guys. And David Lane from Ords in Brisbane. Always great to have you live in the studio, David. Great to be here. Thanks talk, for having me. Talk again very soon. Uh, now, if you'd like me to put any stocks that you're interested in to our expert panel, you can just uh, go to osbiz.co forward slash call picks and list them there, send them through or tweet us using the at TV handle. We love it when you attach your own comments uh, to any of the stocks that you want us to take a look at or you have any questions specifically to those stocks that really makes it uh, interesting for the panel as well and means that, that they can uh, hone their guidance for you a bit more if they know how you're thinking. So uh, by all means, put those comments and questions attached to them as well. A lot more happening here on AusBiz throughout the afternoon, kicking off with The Pulse, which will be here right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.